Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm delighted to welcome Prager U presenter and influencer and the co-host of Will and Amala Live, Amala Ekpanopi. How are you doing, Amala? I'm doing so fantastically. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. Well, the honor is mine, truly. Now, Amala, you speak boldly about many topics, about current events, and you explain with logic and with reason why you have the beliefs and the point of view that you have. And I really appreciate that about anybody. So I will want to talk with you today about some current events. But first, uh, I want to ask you about your path to PragerU. Would you please share some of your story about growing up and how you came to be a left-wing organizer? Sure. So I was born and raised in Florida, raised by a single mother for much of my life, and I'm, I'm one of three children. So uh, an important fact about my mother is that she happens to be a very radical leftist. She works for the political left and does a development and fundraising. So I grew up with that influence for all of my young life. And I was taught from a very young age by both her and media and social media that by virtue of being born a black female in America, that life was going to be a lot more difficult for me, that there was systems set in place to hold me back and make sure that there were barriers uh, placed in front of my success. So as you can imagine, a young person hearing that as little as eight years old, I, I was extremely angry about the state of America, even though I was very, uh, uneducated on any of the factors that would have played a role in my life and my success. But I harbored that anger because of the narrative that I was told. So throughout middle school and high school, I was very much a young activist. I was organizing school board protests and, and going to different protests with my mother. I was volunteering at her organization and speaking with young people and adults about the struggles of being a black person in America, which I knew nothing about. And when I graduated high school, I decided instead of going to college and pursuing higher education in, in that sense, that I would go into activism because I saw that there was nothing more important than that in the world. So I started working for my mother's organization as a youth organizer, which led me to going uh, to middle schools and high schools and essentially indoctrinating young people into socialism and critical race theory and radical feminism. And I did that for almost a year before sort of realizing there were chinks in the armor when it came to the ideology that I was espousing. And I started to recognize a lot of blatant racism on the left, the side that claimed to be tolerant. And when I called them out on said racism, uh, they got extremely defensive, told me that I didn't know how oppressed I was. I didn't understand the struggle and it wasn't their fault that I didn't understand it. And that led to me leaving the organization. And about a year and a half after that, I started making videos online because I just saw so much propaganda and hypocrisy when it came to the political left. And those videos blew up and landed on the desk of somebody at PragerU. So here I am. That's amazing. And you know, Amelia, as you're talking about growing up that way with that uh, ideology inculcated mm -hmm. there, it occurs to me, you and I are about as opposite as we can get in our appearance. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a very pale white male. I happen mm -hmm. also to be bald and you have spectacular hair and <laughs> all of you. these things that uh, make us completely different. But mm -hmm. it occurs to me, even though I grew up in a small town in Kentucky, it 
never dawned on me growing up that my classmates in a very diverse high school Mm -hmm. were supposed to be other, different enemies, anything like that. And I think one of the things that helped me in that to never be exposed to like, you're supposed to be at odds with people based on the way they look was football, believe it or not, Mm. playing sports, being teammates causes people to be in a close relationship where we depend on each other and even love each other, put on that football gear and everybody becomes the same, except that I was slow and weak and some other people were strong Mm -hmm. and fast, but we still were teammates and uh, it just didn't dawn on us to treat each other differently based on intrinsic factors that we couldn't change. So uh, that that I think is really good. Well, geeks like myself, Amala, have a term that we took from a 1999 movie, The Matrix. And (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't even born when that movie came out. Is that right? Yeah, I was born in 2000. So a little bit later. Yeah, that's uh, I'm so old. (laughs) Well, the the term that we took co-opted from The Matrix has to do with when a leftist awakens to conservative ideas and we say they've been yep. red pilled. So what was it like for you becoming red pilled? What kind of pushback mm. did you get? What was your experience? It was a rough road at first. And I, I tell people going through the red pill process is, is really rocky at first and then it just smooths out and you feel this immense amount of fulfillment going through it. When it, when it first started, when I first started to realize, oh, maybe I'm on the wrong side of history here. Maybe I'm in the wrong rooms. It was, it was sort of devastating because I had all these questions in mind and I was going to people who I trusted, who I had worked with for several years of volunteering and then being hired full-time at this organization and I was completely shut down when it came to any line of questioning. So it, it made me even more, even more curious as to why I had these questions and as to why they weren't being answered. So I was sort of forced to go to the internet as a young person would and find out what the truth was. And I ended up finding PragerU and, and Dennis and Thomas Sowell and Dave Rubin and all these amazing people who were challenging what it means to be in the political space and, and what it means to be put in a box of the ideology that you're supposed to believe. And at first I thought, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I've spent 18 years on this earth believing what I've been told and being indoctrinated into thinking that I'm oppressed and that I'm going through this great struggle, even though there's very, uh, very little evidence to prove that. So at first you feel like my, your world is crumbling around you, but when you get through to the, the good values and you really learn about the fact that America does have your best interests at heart, that picks you back up again. So it was a rough road at first. Uh, A lot of people were very angry at me. People at the organization did not like what I had to say. My mother and I went through a contentious period there as I was sort of finding out who I was. But now everything's great. (laughs) Well, that's that's good that now things are much better. Yes. PragerU, you mentioned they had influence Mm -hmm. on you and they are Statistically, this is verifiable just with data of people being polled and saying what kind of influence and impact has PragerU had. They are one of the Mm -hmm. most effectively influential platforms anywhere. Did you ever dream, Amala, that you would be one of the voices and faces of PragerU? 
Oh, absolutely not. As far as I was concerned, I was done with talking politics, social issues, the whole gamut. And then I, I had gotten fed up and then started making these videos. And it was just a hobby. I was going to work, doing my nine to five, and then coming home and saying, you know what? I feel passionate about this today. I'm going to make a TikTok about it. And I posted it on that platform. And they went viral out of nowhere uh, for reasons that I think are pretty obvious. People don't expect to see a conservative person that looks like me, which I think is ridiculous. But those videos, went viral and when I got the the call from PragerU I was just astounded I, I couldn't even believe it was happening at first I thought I was being tricked you want me to come to LA and start making videos I'm just some 20 year old in her room filming on her iPhone and suddenly I'm doing this professionally so when I say I stumbled into this job I I mean it so I'm shocked every single day well I can think of some reasons that they might have said you know this this young lady <laughs> needs to be on our team you have for one oh, thing thank you. A, a voice for radio for broadcast for podcasting streaming uh, uh really pleasant to listen to and then you say things that have meaning and if somebody challenged you on what you're saying you respond in a way that's not like emotional or personal but mm -hmm. logical and that's of great thank value thank you great value. Thank you so much. Yeah, I try to have conversations in the best way possible. I think the one thing the world is lacking right now is definitely conversation. And it's a it's a failure on often both sides. So I want to bridge that gap as best I can. So that's the goal. Now, an observation that I notice about the difference in the way leftists tend to discuss things and the way conservatives discuss things is that leftists try to silence dissent while conservatives welcome discussions about mm -hmm. things, even when we don't agree. For example, I have listened to you and Will Witt debate things that you disagree about, and mm -hmm. neither one of you try to silence the other. You seek to understand why they're making the contention they're making. You trust that they have a reason, and you want to yeah. know what it is. Now, how can we best advance true debate like that, Amala? Uh, it's a it's a framework and a mindset that you have when going into debate. And when I was a radical leftist, I would debate nobody. I wouldn't even look up conservative arguments against issues that I was talking about for for fear of one being offended and getting super defensive, and two a fear of being wrong. And I think first we have to get rid of that fear of being wrong and reframe it in a way. Uh, Dave Rubin has this famous quote that leftists want to control the world and conservatives and, and moderates want to understand the world, and that's the way that we should be looking at discussion. If I'm wrong about a subject matter, by all means, prove me wrong. Let's have the discussion. And when I'm wrong, I'll admit that. Four years ago, I, I would have never said that. And it's because my my lens was different. I was pursuing, you know, a map that I had already planned out and all the stories that I heard fit into that map. And now I'm pursuing objectivity and truth. And if you have a truth uh, that you've proven and you have the evidence for that I don't know yet, by all means, tell me that. And I will tell you that you're right. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. So I think it's about reframing the way way we have discussions and what our goal is that's very wise you sure you're only in your Thank early you. 20s <laughs> yeah i i think so <laughs> well the, the left doesn't really want that debate in fact somebody i just spoke with on this program tim barton the president of wall builders i had a salient observation he said truth is not scared of questions truth welcomes questions right. because truth is truth the questions are going to reveal the answer aligns with truth. Mm -hmm. Now, yep. we on the right are not the source of any truth, but we seek it out, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, 
with the left, they try to silence disagreement. They've already, like you said, they've got the answer that they want. And yes. it's so extreme now that they actually seem to try to harm people who say things they don't want said. We sometimes call that cancel culture. But David mm -hmm. Horowitz, who also guested on this program, pointed out to me that that's really too kind of a way to say it. But have you experienced, Amala, uh, pushback from the left with, as far as them trying to deplatform or silence you in some way? Oh, I have uh, just teams of people that want nothing more than to report every single video that I make on a social platform. I think where I've experienced the most amount of censorship is on TikTok, which is not surprising considering the origins of the app and the demographics of the app. But so many videos, videos where I simply say, hi, I believe that there are two genders have been taken down. I've been banned off of TikTok on several occasions. I've been alienated from uh, getting any sort of income from the app, even though I have have 600,000 followers on the platform and, and are generating a significant amount of views with the content that I've made. So it's very clear that there is a target on not only my back, but PragerU's back and every conservative's back for the things that we're saying, because people can't handle uh, what we what our opinions are. Yes. And so the debate must end. The left says you're not allowed to say these things. I think the worst example of that, well, the, the most recent one is not the worst, but it's very much in people's minds. You get one of the most popular podcasters on planet Earth, Joe Rogan, who invites onto his mm -hmm. program a doctor, a medical genius, who co-invented messenger RNA technology that's now in these vaccine shots. But that doctor says things that are not approved by Dr. Tony Fauci. And so therefore, the less response is, hey, let's not debate this doctor who invented the technology. Let's make sure no one is allowed to hear that he said these things. Spotify, mm -hmm. we demand that you pull the plug on the Joe Rogan experience. Well, that's just crazy. It, it is insane. And uh, I would say for a side that claims to be pro-science, it's the most anti-science movement I have ever seen in my life. And science at its very foundation is about skepticism and different hypotheses and truly playing out the different ideas that you have to the fullest extent through all the different failures, all the different experiments that you can do. And now they've completely alienated us from doing that. And to say that you are pro-science in this case is just ridiculous. Yes. An example even worse than the Joe Rogan experience trying to be deplatformed by the left is the 20-some-odd doctors who actually were treating patients early through the pandemic when we didn't know as much as we know now, and they were experimenting with what treatment protocols, what prescriptions can we give that may help the symptoms of this incurable airborne virus and disease. And so then they all got together and reported their data. It suggested that there are treatments that can be prescribed that can help patients, and the left didn't want that to be heard. And so YouTube and these others not only deleted all their videos, but anybody else who ever posted it got deplatformed as well. That is chilling. Mm -hmm. Right. And the implication of that is large. And I think it's larger than most people are giving it credit for. There are deaths on the hands of the people that censored that information. And we watched this happen right in front of our eyes. We saw the American frontline doctors like Simone Gold come out and talk about this. We saw Peter McCullough, who is also on Joe Rogan's podcast, talk about early signs of treatment and proactive medical care that we could use for COVID-19. And that all got censored. So you have to think about the millions of Americans that could have had proactive treatment when it came to COVID-19 and missed that because of the censoring, because pharmacies refused to give out these medications. And those who died because of that, 
it's it's just beyond me. I'm mind blown to see that this is not getting the coverage and the amount of attention that it deserves. Now, there's so many things, Amala, that are happening in America lately that show those of us who are observing that leftism actually leads invariably to tyranny. But people often don't believe that tyranny really could happen here because mm-hmm. this is America. But it is happening. The Democrats in D.C. and many cities around the country are demanding that people behave as they say you must or get out of our society. You can't even go to Washington, D.C. right now if you don't have your Vax card, if you don't you know, wear an N95 with a bar on it, whatever else they want. Now, leftists who run the media companies do these silencing. We get elections being corrupted. We get the Democrats in D.C. trying to codify that nationwide, making it easier to cheat. What Mm -hmm. would you consider, Amala, the most critical, the most important of these many different issues we face right now? What are the things that uh, your generation, my generation, citizens should think about first? Uh, the what has been the most prevalent issue for me, at least now being a young person, 21 in Los Angeles, has been the unvaccinated versus vaccinated debate and the sort of schism that we're creating in uh, our larger cities like this. I cannot go to a bar, a restaurant, a sports event, anything like that without having papers with me that identify whether or not I've received a medical treatment that is completely <laughs> lacking data to provide that I should get it. And what we're going to see is just a massive divide between those who support liberty and freedom and those who don't. And we've seen over the last two years that the government slowly asked for more and more and more of your liberty. And it's something called a complacency ladder where they start off small and say, you know what, just lock down for two weeks. It'll just be two weeks. And then after that, it's one mask. And after that, it's two. And then it's one vaccine and two and three and four. And it's I can only imagine what they're setting their sights on now as far as the next the next ask. And there's going to be a side of this country that bows down and goes, yes, government, tell me exactly what to do and I will follow. And then those people feel emboldened to force that virtue that they feel onto other people. So I'm very curious to see how that ends and how that goes. Uh, so that's issue number one for me. Election integrity would definitely be my second. Like you said, there's a massive campaign right now to to take away all the integrity of our elections and to stop people from being identified. So I'm extremely concerned about that. Well, regarding the election part first, Mm -hmm. the the folks in Washington, D.C. on the Democrat side have turned Mm -hmm. this, like they do everything, into a racial issue. So because Mm -hmm. you are in a racial minority that the folks in D.C. say you are being suppressed to not be allowed Mm -hmm. to vote, can you back that up? Have you been denied (laughs) The right to vote. No, I cannot back that up whatsoever. And it's just amazing to me that the left uses such asinine logic when it comes to race in America. If they see something that's disproportionate among race, they immediately cry racism. And what that does is it stops you from looking at other possible solutions. If you're looking at your elections and you go, okay, well, black people and Hispanic people uh, do lack identification more than white people do. Is the is the idea or the the solution to that to not require identification at voting? No, it's to get people identified. And as far as I'm concerned, everybody in this country who is a citizen has three and a half years to do so in between elections. If you really want to vote, uh, you can, and somebody will help you get identified so that you can vote. Most states in this union have at least three different options for voting ID that you can use at a polling site. To so to spout to me that having voter ID as a requirement at voting is. Some 
somehow racist is just complete BS. <laughs> and it should be called that on its face. And when polled, 69% of black people say that they that you should have a voter ID to vote. So there's just no basis for this logic. I would ask you also, Amala, uh, this is a more personal question. Does it offend mm-hmm. you when the Democrats say that you're somehow uh, sort of helpless in that regard? Absolutely. And it should offend everybody. And there's the famous saying, I'm sure you're aware of the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's not soft bigotry at all. It's just straight up hard bigotry. It is racism to look at somebody and say, because you look this way, because you were born this way, I'm expecting less of you. And it's not just happening when it comes to to voting. It's happening when it comes to financing. It's happening when it comes to crime. Now we're looking at black communities and go, well, I expect crime from you. So let's decriminalize this. Let's move into zero bail policies and let's facilitate uh, this happening in your community. It's happening in schools now where we say we expect less academically from black and brown populations. So let's lower your academic standards. And it is simply ridiculous. And what it is doing is really handcuffing our communities and it's going to harm us in the long run. We are going to be left uneducated, in jail and with no expectations from our society. And so I hadn't really thought we might dive into race issues as a topic itself, but you raised some important Mm -hmm. point there. And I'm thinking about the George Floyd incident and Mm -hmm. the fact that we all assumed when we saw that horrific video, we Mm -hmm. assumed that that cop was motivated by his racism to somehow abuse Mr. Floyd. We -hmm. learned in the trial that the actual cause of death was a drug overdose that's what caused him not to be able to breathe and the rest of this four yes. times the lethal limit of fentanyl and the rest of it. But we still had this presupposition that it must have been racial motivation that caused the bad outcome. And it happens that that question came up to the attorney general of the state who used to work for President Obama. And they asked, why did you not add the aggravating factor of hate crime against Derek Chauvin, the guy who got convicted? Yep. And the attorney general, who used to work for Barack Obama, said, good question. We looked. We could not find any evidence that race played any part in this incident. Well, that seems like kind of an important data point since cities were burned to the ground based on the fact that everybody knew it was a racially charged thing. How do we Mm -hmm. how do we deal with that? Uh, We deal with that by calling out the blatant lies here. And it's a hard thing to do because it doesn't support the narrative. It doesn't support the narrative that police are racist men and women that go out with a hankering to kill black people every day. And I am, am so personally attached to this issue in particular because I work very closely with the LAPD. Twice a week, I leave this job and I go to the LAPD precinct here uh, in in Watts, uh, LA, and I work with these police officers and I go through their departments and I do ride alongs with them. And that's something I'll be spending the next year doing. And these are hardworking men and women with family, with ambition, who care for their community and are doing far more work than they're being paid for. But we want to push the narrative of racism. Like I said, if we see a a, a disparate effect on a, a certain community of color, we immediately cry racism. And what that does is it is a a guard against the actual issues because we can cry racism. And now we're not focusing on the fact that George Floyd was a career criminal. Now we're not focusing on the fact that he was doing drugs 
drugs, which is becoming a, a massive issue here in America. Now we're not focusing on the fact of actual substantive police reform, which is something we should have a discussion about. Instead, we cry racism. We call for this cop to have his life ruined and nothing gets done. Nothing changes. Yes, it is. It is tragic. So how do we join together? How do we get closer to Dr. Martin Luther King's dream where mm. we don't care about the the unchangeable intrinsic factors of how pale I am uh, or anything else? We just look at what kind of person are you? What are you doing? What are you for? How do we get there, yep. Amala? Uh, first and foremost, we stop talking about race. And, and that's a hard thing for us to do because the left is so adamant about it and we must respond in order to debunk the lies that they keep telling. But we have to stop talking about it. And I think one of the ways that we do that is by finding uniting factors across party lines and across both sides of the aisle. And one of those uniting factors is class and socioeconomic status. If we took a step back, took a bird's eye view of these issues right now and said, is this really a race problem or is this a class problem is class far more linked to this is two parent households far more linked to this is education systems far more linked to this and we would find that the answer is yes in all three of those cases and these are uniting issues these are nonpartisan issues if we can simply take the narrative away from race and start focusing on the fact that we are united across generations, across race, across gender, by our class, by two-parent households, by our education systems. That is how we, we really morph the fight. Amen, and may it be so. That's so wise, and I appreciate that. Well, as we wrap up, Amala, I, I just want to let you know that I also interviewed your co-host, Will Witt, uh, last year. Mm -hmm. And that interview, I looked back through the stats, Will Witt's episode was the top downloaded episode of Core Principles Podcast in 2021. So your challenge, Amala, is to, to beat his record. I know you can do it. You can promote Core Principles, your interview, when it goes online. Yes. I'll send uh, Kelly or you or any, any of the rest there the, the link that you can share. But I know you can beat Will, and I know you want to beat I Will. I have to. I got to beat him in best hair, and now I have to beat him in the most downloaded podcast. Well, as far as best hair goes, I saw that mustache he was sporting a couple weeks back, and you, no matter how spectacular your hair is, you, you lose, because that mustache, I mean, Will, come on. That, that, was, that was amazing. Well, listeners. It's, it's very controversial. Yes. I was career military, so I didn't do a lot of facial hair, but... Uh, and now right. I'm, I'm bald, so I really hate Will a little bit. Sorry, Will. But <laughs> I'll pass that on. <laughs> anyway, listeners, uh, search for Will and Amala live. Uh, subscribe to their channel. They've got a new channel for their program, but, of course, you can find them on PragerU as well. Go to PragerU. There are so many great videos, most of them four minutes or less, but the Will and Amala live, typically an hour each, and they are deep rich and hilarious so uh, great entertainment there as well subscribe to those uh, they will challenge your mind they will encourage you they're really wise and dedicated young people who love america and seek to defend liberty so amala ekwinobi thank you so much for joining me on core principles god bless you anytime thank you so much clay thank you for having me on it's been great core principles podcast is produced in paducah kentucky by real productions Music is by Late July. 
L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find her music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.